What's up, gentlemen? Like I said, just making toot lips. Isn't so. a toot lip like an, uh, a flower of some kind? <laughs> the JavaScript flower? Doesn't smell like a flower. <laughs> Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Don't panic, be for most of this podcast is sponsored by JetBrains, makers of WebStorm. Whether you're working with Node.js or building the front end of your web application, WebStorm is the tool for you. It has great code quality and code exploration tools and works with HTML5, Node, TypeScript, CoffeeScript, Harmony, Less, Sass, Jade, JSLint, JSHint, and the Google Closure compiler. Check it out at jetbrains.com slash webstore. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 64 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel we have Jameson Dance. Hello friends. Joe Eames. Hey there. Merrick Christensen. What's up? I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, Ryan Florence. Hey, how's it going? So you haven't been on the show before. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Ryan Florence. I'm from Utah, like a lot of you guys. I've been writing JavaScript for five years now or something like that. I just picked it up. I was sick of the engineers at my company telling me that things were impossible, and so I started to show them that it was possible, and then ended up getting paid more money, so is that it a- pretty naturally. Is that at Instructure or is that somewhere else? No, no, no. That was that was a company actually in Idaho. So, ah, I see. Yeah. So uh, now I work at Instructure. We build a learning management system uh, for schools and universities, and we also have Canvas.net, which is uh, open courses for anyone to take. Some pretty interesting ones on there, like gender and comic books, things like that. So, yeah, it's a fun place to work. Fun, uh, fun product to work on. Yeah, you inherited a lot of my old co-workers. I used to work for Mosey, so. Yeah, half our team, engineering team, used to be Mosey, but I think we have offset them at this point. Ooh, interesting. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, there are a lot of great people up there, and it's it's awesome to have you on the show. You've actually replied to a few of our episodes on Twitter, and, you know, it's always interesting insight that we get off you, so. Yeah, I'm usually, like, yelling in my car, like, oh, no, guys, this. You forgot about that. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It's Who watches The Watchmen, though? Who's going to be yelling in their car now to this episode? Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you guys can yell at me. Yeah. <laughs> so you're pretty much an expert in Ember, from what I hear. and As, as much as there are experts in Ember, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and do you have a course or something? I think I remember hearing something about that. Yeah, um... If you go to ember101.com, Ember used to be really hard to get started with until the API kind of settled. And then once the API settled, I thought, you know, it'd be great if there was somewhere for people to go to get over the hump. Because Ember is actually really easy, but uh, there's a couple conventions you have to know first, like any framework that has convention over configuration. And so I just wanted to have somewhere that I could point people both at work and outside of work and just for the project in general for people to go and watch a couple quick videos and just get over that hump and realize, oh, hey, this actually is really easy. This isn't this big, gross framework. It's actually a really simple uh, simple API to work with. 
And so far, I've gotten really great feedback from people. Tons of email every day of people saying, thank you so much. I didn't realize that Ember was so powerful or so easy, things like that. Yeah, this looks really great. I only have one complaint about your website, and that is there's no donate button. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's not a complaint from my end. Uh, it, I've had, had a lot of people tell me, you need ads on there, you need a donation button. But, um, you know, I've, I've learned from the Internet. You know, I have an economics degree, mm-hmm. so I didn't write code in school or have anyone teach me except for people online. So I consider the kind of community work that I do to be paying for my education. Like, that's on I'm giving back. So I very purposefully do not want money for those kinds of things. Okay. You're not going to jump on that sweet Kickstarter money train? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to knock that either. Like, you know, if I were independent again, it'd be pretty cool to get 10, 15 grand to work on an Ember course or something like that. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and start talking about Ember. Now we've... We've had a few people on talking about it before. I'm a little curious about how your workflow maybe differs from from some of our other guests with Ember. Sure. And to be honest, I haven't listened to, um, I think the only Ember JS Jabber they listened to was, uh, which wasn't even about Ember, it's when you had Tom and um, Substack on. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just sort of indirectly about Ember, but it's more about framework. So I don't know what's been said about it. But I do know that in the last six months, Ember has changed a lot, so it's probably a different framework than last time it was talked about. But for my workflow, I know Ruby, and Ember kind of feels like a Ruby project at times, but it's, it's really not. Uh, those are just the tools that uh, the team uses to get work done. And I wanted to uh, have Ember be more accessible to, to JavaScript people, people that are writing apps in Node and Express, or maybe don't even touch the server, and they just have some back-end team that's doing that kind of stuff. And so I wanted uh, a workflow in Ember that was, you know, feels native to JavaScript. So I built Ember Tools, which you can find on GitHub. My username's rpflorence, and then just slash Ember Tools. And Ember Tools is a, if you're familiar with Rails, uh, you can just whip up a new Rails app by typing Rails new and then the name of your app. And so same thing here. Once you install Ember Tools, you can just do Ember Create and then the name of your app, and it'll build a really nice scaffold app for you, uh, including a build tool. And uh, yeah, so you use that, use the generators to build your modules, um, and then it's got a Ember build command that then concatenates everything together into one file, um, and the module system is CommonJS. So you can bring in any frameworks or any libraries out there that are written in CommonJS, and it'll just work with the build in Ember Tools. So yeah, Ember Tools is a very JavaScript-friendly approach to an Ember app. So that's my workflow. And whenever people ask me for help in Ember, I just point them to that and say, let it do the work for you. Why did so, you use uh, CommonJS instead of RequireJS? I so thought Merrick was going to ask that question. Yeah, so, and anyone who knows me knows that, like, anybody that knows me knows that I really love AMD. I've been, about a year ago, I was really active online, like, in the discussions about module systems and saying, guys, AMD is doing our thing, uh, it's working, solves the problem really well. I don't like the signature just because it's ugly, but like, what else are you going to do? <laughs> so I think it works great. So when I first did Ember Tools, it was AMD. And then the build actually was like too slow for me. I was using RJS 
which you know goes and looks up all the dependencies automatically. We use RJS to compile our code in our in Instructure's actual app, but I, I wanted the build to happen a lot faster because as I'm typing code and saving files, I have a watcher that's doing Ember build, and I just wanted that to be like immediate so that then I could refresh the browser. And RJS was just going kind of slow. So I went over to browser build, and it was just like immediate. Uh, the, the builds were so fast because it's, it's kind of a different thing. Instead of tracing all the dependencies, um, you just hand it the files to include, and then it exports the module and runs your, your main file. Uh, so I mainly did it for a faster build. Yeah, I realize it's not... Why, why prioritize a faster build if you can not have to build during development? Yeah, good question. I think too many times we've had bugs in our app only after we build, and those bugs really drive me crazy because they're kind of hard to catch. And so in my personal projects, I've been uh, running the code as close to what it's going to be in production, which for me means concatenated but not uglified. So, yeah, it's just I, I wouldn't oppose the other thing. I plan If you look, when, when you make an app with Ember tools, there's an ember.json file, and it has modules CJS. So it is in my... Uh, it is in the future of Ember Tools to support AMD modules instead. I just need to go write the templates. One thing that we ran into, because, because we use RJS plugins extensively, right? And, and you have the, a good opportunity to break it after the build. So we actually started yeah. with our tests before and after the build, before we ever went to production. And that, that's been pretty good for catching a lot of this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, same with our CI servers. We, um, we run it uglified and everything. Uh, so yeah, we we catch them a lot faster, but you know you may not have coverage around one button in Selenium, and so yeah, uh, yeah, and really Ember Tools was so <laughs> my first Ember project was a contraction frequency calculator when my wife was pregnant. <laughs> so, pretty pretty bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, man, you're um, gonna get those sweet VC dollars rolling in. Yeah, man. <laughs> Uh, so my wife has rough pregnancies at the end where she usually goes on bed rest for the last couple of months because of early labor. And so the doctors are always asking like, well, how long between contractions, yada, yada, yada. So uh, you can find it on GitHub. It's on my GitHub account. I think it's called Prego. Uh, <laughs> so that was my first Ember app. And I had a bunch of little bin scripts for like generating the Ember objects. And I really didn't know Ember very well yet, but I, I really wanted these generators because the only reason I uh, could ever do anything in Rails is because of their scaffolding and generators. Like That's how I learned the framework. I don't think you learn the framework from reading documentation for a week. I think you learn it by doing. And these generators, like they just they kick out code that can keep you productive. Even if you aren't doing things perfectly or the right way, or maybe the generators are a little naive, still they let you continue to progress. So I really wanted generators. And so I started writing all these little scripts in my little pregnancy app and then uh, pulled them all out into this Ember Tools thing. And I, I released it really prematurely. You know, it wasn't really useful or understandable to most other people than me. And I've slowly been cleaning it up and making, making it a lot easier to work with. So, yeah, it's really just a bunch of strange scripts that I hacked together and put on GitHub. And just to clarify for people who aren't familiar with generators in Rails or some of the other frameworks out there, basically what it is is it takes a template, it takes information, you pass the generator call on the command line, and it builds up the, the file or class for you. 
or set of right. files in a lot of cases. Yeah, so with Ember Tools, the generators are, um, you can generate a model, a controller, a view, a mix-in, a route, and a template, and actually helpers too. And so Ember Tools has the prescribed file organization because, you know, how many times do you argue with other developers on a team what you should name your files? Like, who cares what you name your files? Uh, so Ember Tools just says, here's how you name your files. Don't worry about that. Um, and so when you do these generators, it names the file properly and sticks it in the right folder so you don't have to think about your folder structure or try to decide on something. It just kind of prescribes that for you. That that actually sounds like a smaller deal than it is, like from trying to show other people Ember and from when I first started learning it. it there there are lots of problems that that solves, uh, lots of things that, that you can screw up on your own if you're not using something. And if you're not using Rails, then then for a while there wasn't anything really amazing to use. So Ember Tools is really it's a great thing. Glad it exists. Thanks because, for making it. Because Thank so you. much of Ember is convention driven. So much of Ember is just naming things right. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's how it def- that's how it uh, traces its dependencies. That's how it does its service location. So getting something that kind of understands those conventions and teaches them to you significantly decreases the learning curve. Yeah, so. like if you if you define a route at say courses, so you have a courses route, uh, your the Ember app when someone navigates to slash courses, it's going to first look for app.courseRoute, and then that course route is going to look for a template on an object called ember.allcapstemplates, and it's going to look for uh, a function there called courses. Um, and if it doesn't find it, uh, then you know, you're kind of hosed. And so Ember Tools, based on the file name, registers all of your objects onto your application object the way Ember wants you to. So if you have this courses route at, um, you know, js slash route slash courses.js, the build process will grab that file, look at its name, and convert that with some inflection to app.coursesroute and app.coursescontroller and all those things. So to get new modules into your app, you simply need to add a file into your file system. And then Ember Tools uh, wires everything up, all the conventions in Ember for you, which is, is a big deal. Um, and it's what makes Ember so nice to work with, is it's got all these conventions, so you don't have to do very much. Do you generate the unit test kind of files for them, too? Uh, that is totally on my radar. When I first wrote Ember Tools, I wasn't totally clear how to do some sort of integration testing with Ember. And so I didn't want to ship some sort of half-baked tests. And I want to have some helpers, too. One, one challenge with getting started with the Ember is uh, the team doesn't market testing uh, like, like maybe Angular does a lot better. Um, and even jQuery with QUnit. And like you go to the QUnit page, and they explain to you how to unit test JavaScript. Uh, but Ember is kind of like, yeah, of course you can test Ember. What, what's the big deal? <laughs> it's JavaScript. Test it. Yeah, and then you open it up, and it's a bunch of Ruby build tools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I want uh, I want a really good testing story for Ember, and I want to put it into Ember tools. I haven't gotten around to it yet, awesome. uh, but but I do I do test my Ember code. Like Ember101.com has the full test suite. It's not too hard to do some sort of integration testing. Like 
routing around. Like in my Ember 101 tests, I actually can switch routes and then check the DOM uh, to see if like the things are on the page that I expect. So I, I want to like figure that out really well and have a cleaner API and then stick that into Ember tools for people. Got it. I'll yeah, and so then when you generate a controller, you'll automatically get like a controller test. So you talked about writing Ember tools to try and make it more available to the JavaScript community at large. Do you think you right. could further that even more by adopting something like Yeoman generators? Yeah, so when I first started Ember tools, I went and looked at, how do you even pronounce it? I would say Yao Man. I think it's Yeoman. It's Yeoman. Yo, Yo Man. Yo Man. Argument. Yo Man, what's up? So um, I'm actually in IRC a lot with uh, with Paul and Addy, and um, before I did Ember Tools, I looked at Yeoman, Yeoman, and I, man, they didn't have any documentation on how to build on top of Yeoman. So, uh, I, like, I spent probably 15, 20 minutes looking it up, and like, there wasn't anything there to really help me out. So then I went ahead and just did my own thing, and right afterward, Addy was like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> and so we had a long conversation and a big conversation on GitHub. Um, and so that actually sparked him and the Yeoman team to write a bunch of documentation around uh, how to build on top of Yeoman. So you can build your own thing like Ember Tools, or maybe you can make something for Angular or CanJS or any of these other frameworks and uh, have like generators and things. So they've got better documentation now. I haven't had a chance to go see if I want to build on top of it or not yet. I think in the early days, too, there was some question between whether or not you would use Grunt's init stuff, and Yeoman was a little bit weird, like it was trying to abstract Grunt rather than yeah. embrace it. So at the time that you probably started writing Ember Tools, Yeoman was a much more convoluted project. You yeah, I was, I was just scratching my head thinking, isn't this just Grunt? <laughs> yeah, because when they shipped, it kind of was, you know? They're like, check yeah. this out, guys. We put a pretty face on Grunt. Right. Yeah. You know, but but I think they've totally found their identi identity in a in a significant way. I'm wondering, do you have plans to use Yeoman, or is that something that's kind of like, well, it doesn't really do much for Ember tools at this point because you've already written your own generator stuff. So what's funny is if you like, if you do anything with Yeoman, it feels like you get half of npm before you do anything, and I don't know why, but that just bumps me out. Like there are just so many dependencies in there. Yes. Um, and like that just looks scary to somebody new. Like I want Ember Tools to work for someone who's only been doing JavaScript for a few months. Yeah. And to see that, it's like, oh crap, what am I getting into? But I don't like, know. Every time you run Yeoman, you have to scroll down because they wanted to put in that ASCII art of the Yeoman guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like you know, it's, cool, it's, it's so pretty. One time, please, because. So I don't know about you guys, but when you very first started using the terminal, the command line interfaces, like. It felt like every command, right before I'd hit enter, I was afraid that I was going to blow up my computer. <laughs> <laughs> and like my little brother, who's, a, who's an amazing graphic designer, um, he actually he's the graphic designer for Zufa, so anything you see there, he probably made. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And so I, I like to think about him when I'm building these things and building APIs and these tools. And so I'm, I'm harping too much on too many dependencies in Yeoman because you can have a lot of dependencies, that's fine, but it's just kind of scary to a, a, new, a new hacker. Like, well, what did, what did this just do to my computer? What if I want to delete all this? Now I've got, what is that? Is that like two gigs of stuff now that's installed? It's just kind of scary Where for a new person. It, yeah, it, you also feel so hardcore when you first start using the CLI. 
Yeah, so I want I want that to like be softer. But if uh, if Yeoman has like stuff in it that makes Ember tools like half the code that it is right now, like my my ideal is, and I think this is what Yeoman's trying to do, because yeah. So my ideal is there's some sort of program that you just write a bunch of templates and configure a bunch of file naming conventions, and then like it does the rest because that's all Ember tools is. It's just templates and then commands that make files with those templates. In a lot of ways, it's just like a website, actually. So yeah, Yeoman is that like app that I realize Ember Tools is abstractly. Yeah, it'd make a lot of sense to use it. Okay. So we, we keep talking about the generators. We've talked about the number of dependencies that it has or hasn't. What else does it do? Uh, Ember Tools or Yeoman? Yeah, Ember Tools I'm talking about. Oh. Okay, sure. So it's also got scaffolding. That's one of the generators. Uh, which I'm not super proud of, but scaffolding was a big deal when I was learning Rails and faking people out like I was a programmer when I really wasn't. It's uh, my life. Yeah. You just said it's my life. It did. Yeah. <laughs> and it just does um, handlebars templates like Ember uses? Yeah. Uh, so that's maybe there's some that could mean something subtly different. So Ember Tools itself uses handlebars to write the scaffolding in these generators, which when it's making a template, the template is handlebars, of course, because that's what Ember uses. So I've got files like resource.handlebars.handlebars. Do you ever see Ember tools kind of receiving a blessing, if you will, from the Ember team? Because currently, one thing that's kind of interesting about these you know, frameworks to try and tackle these really big problems is their strong points can't really be, be shown through like a to-do MVC. Or in, yes. the case of, uh, in the case of Ember, they always use those inline script tags, and everybody always shakes their fist like, how am I supposed to build a huge app with inline script tags? Uh, but it's just for the sake of the demo. you know. And so I'm wondering, do you think they'll ever take something that's maybe geared towards larger applications like Ember Tools and give it kind of a blessing, maybe make it part of the, the project? Yeah, right, because that's what Rails did. Like Rails shipped with this framework of generators and scaffolding and things like that, right? Yeah. Uh, but Ember doesn't have that. Uh, Ember Rails maybe looked like that's what it was going to be, but I mean, come on, we're not all building Rails apps. Yeah, most of us aren't. Yeah, and even if and even if we are, we're all trying to have that sweet spot of well, my frontend app just lives on a CDN somewhere, and then my Rails app is just a JSON API, right? So even in the Rails case, you probably don't want your Ember app in it. So I've gotten a half blessing, I guess. One of the blog posts, uh, they mentioned Ember Tools and said, you know, go ahead and use this. Um, it's not an official project by any means, but they, they recommend it to people. I don't mind if it's always just my own thing and not a core part of Ember, but I think there'd probably be room for something like that. I know Ember is, um, when ES6 modules are more defined, Ember's build process will probably be built around that and I'm, I'm just speaking from what I've seen on Twitter and conversation I've had. I, this isn't an official thing, but Ember will eventually be built with JavaScript tools rather than Ruby. Yeah. And, and then at that point, that would probably make a lot of sense to say, oh, hey, we are like a full-blown JavaScript project now, and by the way, Ember tools or something else is now an official part of the project as well. Yeah. That'd be great. I would love that. And then you can bring in, like you can with Ember tools, uh, you can bring in stuff from... TJ's, TJ Holloway checks component stuff. Like you can bring in those into Ember Tools, anything that's common JS. Right. 
Yeah, or or really AMD, you would just have to run the AMD to CJS preprocessor from RJS. Yeah, my dream is that we all use uh, the ES6 module syntax, even if it's not supported everywhere, and then people can just build it to whichever module system they ship to the environments. So authoring ES6 modules in development, it's actually AMD, and then maybe when you go to production, it's CommonJS or something. Yeah. So I have another question uh, just looking at this. How would you use this in something like a Rails application where all of the JavaScript assets are in their own little place in the application? Sure. Uh, if you go to the GitHub page in the README, uh -huh. there is actually a uh, heading on that. Um, a little ways down, what does it say here? It says uh, creating standalone browser apps and creating browser apps as part of Express or Rails, etc. So when you run Ember Create, you do dash dash JS path. So you tell it where your JavaScript assets live and then give it the directory, public JavaScripts or assets, JavaScripts, wherever it lives. And then uh, whenever you run Ember Tool or Ember Build or Ember Generate, any of the Ember commands, it's going to create files in your public JavaScripts folder. Oh, okay. So it creates some kind of dot file somewhere or something that it keeps track of it? Yeah, there's an ember.json file in your application root. Oh, okay. Hmm. Got it. I want to go back a couple minutes uh, where Chuck, you asked me, what are the things does Ember Tools do? We went off on scaffolding and then kind of got away from it. Uh, so scaffolding, for those that aren't familiar with it, basically you can say, like, uh, Ember generate scaffold user, and it'll create a user model for you, and then it will set up a whole bunch of views and templates and controllers and routes so that when you go to slash users, you've got a table of all your users with a link to creating a new user, gives you a form, fill out the form, saves the user, and you can edit the user and delete it. So it's full CRUD for a model, uh, which is really useful to kind of see how the code all interacts. I said earlier I'm not super proud of the scaffolding. I would, I want to do it differently now that I know more about Ember. But scaffolding's huge uh, for learning things. And indirectly, part of the scaffolding, I needed to persist the scaffold data because it's not that interesting to have scaffolding if you can't persist your models anywhere. Uh, so I wrote a local storage adapter a while ago. It was one of the first things I did in Ember for Ember data. And Ember tools, when you create a new project, project ships with the local storage adapter. And that's where it persists all the data by default. A lot like Rails persists to SQLite by default. Um, and then, of course, you can rip that out and persist to your own API or whatever. But, mm -hmm. yeah. So what if somebody's already using Ember and they decide that they want these tools? Is there a way to adapt an existing product or project to Ember tools? Yeah, I've helped a few people do that. Um, you know, there's no really clean way to do it, but you just, really the easiest way is make a brand new app with Ember Create, and then just move all your files over into the right spots. And if you don't know what the right spot is, then you can just use the generator, see where it created the file, and then copy-paste your code into it. Yeah, it does feel a little bit clunky, but it makes sense. I mean, if you're, if you're already using stuff, yeah, you, you, there's no way around it. You're going to have done something different from what the standard is for this tool. So. The good thing is, though, is that a lot of the standards, and I'm speaking for Ryan here, so correct me if I'm wrong, dude, but... But a lot of the conventions in Ember tools are directly influenced from the conventions of Ember. So whatever an Ember app is, are also going to be influenced by those conventions because their convention is driven by the framework. 
So odds are you're already going to have the helper called a certain thing, the view called a certain thing, the model called a certain thing. So the migration path is not going to be that abnormal because it's not like these weird, wacky, made-up things by Ember tools. I mean, they're, they're framework-driven conventions. Yeah, the only thing Ember tools, yeah, that's completely accurate, Merrick. Um, the only thing that Ember tools does is it registers your modules onto your app by their file names, which someone else's project might not do. They probably are just using globals and assigning them themselves. So the biggest task, you know, the files are probably going to live in similar folders. The biggest task is just switching to CommonJS. Yeah, which to me would make the project significantly better uh, to work with in the long run, you know. Oh, it's great too because then unit tests, um, you know, my controllers don't depend on an application. So I can just pull in a controller and then just unit test it because of the way that Ember Tools just exports the module, but then registers it into the app during the build. So that that was my goal was to be able to test things in isolation because they just are easier and faster to run. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not super familiar with Common JS. I've done much more with AMD, but it, it also makes sense in the sense that you pull the class in and it knows what its dependencies are and where to find them. And, right, and so it, it does all that work for you and and then like you said it's easier to test and things like that so it's interesting about testing a single page app you know that can live on a cdn it's just static files is when you test you can actually just bring in your your build so if you concatenate everything into a single application js file like ember tools does in your tests you just pull in application js and it actually runs your app right there and you have all your modules available to you. It's kind of interesting. And so, yeah, in my unit tests, I have I have the whole app running, but I can just pull in the pieces I want and test them outside of the app, or I can transition around the app and see what happens. So it's kind of like this mix of integration and unit uh, all in the same environment, which I've actually really enjoyed. That's awesome, man. So do you guys use Ember at all in structure for Canvas? Um, it's not in Canvas yet. But we have a thing that we call dbmon. It's a db database monitor. And it shows us uh, all the long-running queries across all of our database shards, which I think we have like 100 now. Our infrastructure is enormous. And I don't have to deal with that stuff, fortunately. So dbmon looks at all these long-running queries, and you can actually kill them uh, if it's like tying up a process or something. And that was our first Ember app here. Uh, I was mostly just a consultant on it while my boss uh, wrote it, and I uh, learned a lot doing that. Uh, he had some pretty unique use cases. We had a, uh, when he'd click on a cluster, on one of our database clusters, it would take like four seconds for the table to render, and uh, yeah, we had to like figure out, well, why is that taking so long? And then fix that and some other things, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it was a lot of fun. So we've got dbmon. Canvas is an open platform, so its name Canvas is like, this is kind of a blank slate for you to paint your own education picture onto. I'm not going to get any more marketing sales than that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's why it's called Canvas. And so we have this whole ecosystem of external apps that you can bring in. Uh, so if other people make an education app, there's this technology called LTI. I don't know what it stands for. Learning Tool Integration, I think, which is basically posting to iframes back and forth so you can bring in any sort of education app into another education app, and everyone should speak this LTI language. And so we have, uh, I don't know the address of it, HD apps or LTI apps, and I'll find it and put it in the show notes later. Yeah, we've got this website that 
lists all of these applications that speak LTI that people can bring into Canvas. And um, a couple pieces of that are written in Ember now. And uh, the main page is actually about to be shipped in the next few weeks. And it's written in Ember. And then we have an app center inside of Canvas to like pull them in very directly. So a teacher is in Canvas or an administrator is in Canvas. And they want to bring in a Vimeo uh, LTI app so that people can embed Vimeo image, uh, videos really easily into their courses. And that guy is getting rewritten in Ember as well. So kind of pieces around Canvas are being written in Ember. Canvas is big and grisly and we've got a lot of work to do in it, but I'm going to be redoing our quiz section pretty soon and I'll be redoing that in Ember. So it'll just be an Ember app that lives inside of our Rails app. Cool. So one other thing I want to bring up, and this is something that uh, for the most part it doesn't, I guess it doesn't matter too much, but um, I, I hear Rails developers and, you know, people from other frameworks that aren't based on Node.js, uh, they complain that they have to add Node.js or something to their tool chain. And this installs via NPM, and I'm assuming it relies upon Node? Yeah, yeah. That's really funny that you'd say that, Chuck, because I'm a, mainly a Node developer, and I have the exact opposite perspective. That it so feels like lots of times for non-Ruby things, I need to add Ruby to my tool chain. Which is annoying, right? Yeah, I, I've, seen, I've seen complaints both ways. And, and I guess that's what my question leads to next is, is there any chance that you know, something like this might be ported or available you know, in sort of a pure Ruby or pure Python stack? I don't know how it can be pure Ruby when it kicks out JavaScript. <laughs> I, I, I tend to agree with you. I was just curious. Yeah, the, yeah. Reason, the, the benefit of doing it all in JavaScript, right, is, is Ryan, if he wanted to now, could support CoffeeScript or all these different... I mean, sure, you could just generate files, right? But JavaScript ecosystem kind of has a lot of things for building JavaScript. Yeah. You know? And really, um, I needed to... I was using Handlebars to make the... Yeah, templates. Just JS, so. yeah, and so I just pull in the Node handlebars module. We've we've got a Ruby handlebars in Canvas that pulls in exec.js and then executes handlebars and like precompiles our templates and stuff. Sounds terrible. No, I'm just kidding. One other question I have is and some people have talked about Ember and basically said, I like everything it gives me except and then they want to replace some part of the tool chain. So it could be the ORM, it could be handlebars. For example, are, are you going to make this modular enough to be able to support, say, if they want some other Haml JS or something? So, have you really heard people say that? They're I like, "Oh, it looks cool, except handlebars." I say it almost daily. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it once or twice, not a lot. So, some seriousness, though. Uh, I, like, there are. I think there is value in being able to switch out sub pieces of a framework, right? Yeah, totally. Um, so Ember, even though it's been going on for two years, uh, they're just trying to like get it right. You know, they're trying to get building apps in the browser right and to make it awesome and easy, which I think they're succeeding amazingly at. What's tough about saying, oh, I want to just swap out this piece for that piece is, you know, when you're building the framework, it would take a whole lot longer to like make all these little pieces pluggable and pull them out, plug in something different, because then you got to have all these interfaces for all of them. And we all know that it's easier to build something, you know, all together at first. And mm -hmm. I think I think their approach is, we're just going to nail this first 
And then um, we're going to release all these little pieces as modules, which they're already doing RSVP, uh, Backburner, like all these things that they're doing come together to make Ember. And they've got a Rails mod, or sorry, not Rails, they've got a router module. I was looking at Rails on my screen. Uh, <laughs> They've got a router module, and so the plan is split all these pieces out into their own projects that just come together into one happy Ember framework. And so when that happens, then yeah, you could plug in other pieces. But yeah, they're not there yet. They're just trying to make the framework framework amazing. Uh, so I think that's like the next step in the life cycle of the framework. And as for handlebars, uh, I personally love handlebars. Like I hate EJS, I hate ERB, I hate embedded. Uh, template languages because people go crazy in there and you end up with half your code logic in a view, which is makes me really sad. Sure. But I also, you know, I can only use something like Mustache for 10 minutes until I run into a limitation because I want to do something different or I want to get out to the parent scope of this block that I'm in. But I And so Ember or Handlebars for me is that perfect sweet spot where it's like, it's logicless, but you have helpers. And what that means for Ember is you can make APIs that look like web components with these helpers. So you can make a helper called like nav dropdown or slideshow. And just like a web component where you'd have slideshow as a tag name, instead you have a handlebars template tag. So it's just got curlies on the ends instead of the greater and equal end signs. So when I'm writing my Ember stuff and, and building these components, they are semantically web components, which is the right way to do it. And uh, because of Ember's kind of sweet spot between logicless and embedded language with these helpers, you can build APIs that look like what we're going to be using in the future. So I don't know if you could actually ever pull handlebars out of Ember, except if it's something that just like compiles to handlebars like Emblem.js. Looks like Haml, but it's just handlebars. Chuck, the other thing you mentioned was switch out the ORM. Um, and that is incredibly easy because there isn't one by default. So, <laughs> so that that's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> and I gotta say, that's the hardest part of Ember right now is models, because there is actually no such thing as Ember dot model. Model comes from Ember data, which is not complete. It's awesome. It's great right now. I love using it, but it's not complete. And so, if you're gonna use it, know that you're living on the edge. But uh, yeah, that's probably the hardest part. Ember expects you to give it the same object every time you ask for it, like user.find1, you better give it the same JavaScript object or else things will start falling apart on you. So that's that's probably the trickiest part of Ember right now is models. So I can't wait till Ember data, you know, solidifies. Nice. Okay. Well, we're getting pretty close to the end of our time. Are, are there any other things that you want to talk about with Ember tools or Ember in general? Have, have you had many contributors to Ember tools? Uh, yeah, you can go look at the Pulse um, and see there's been a lot of pull requests. My coworker and friend Stanley Stewart, you might know him as 5 Tanley on Twitter. Uh, he's actually a contributor, so he can push whatever code he wants into it. Yeah, it's been, it's been pretty active. I've been surprised at how many people are using it. I mean, it's got almost 500 followers, which is not common for a project of mine. And that just shows how big of a need there is for it, right? Like, people jumped on this because it was helpful. Because everyone yeah. was looking at the same problem and pulling their hair out. Yeah. What, one thing that I, I was going to say earlier when we were talking about the conventions is that the, the real power in the conventions isn't necessarily 
that uh, everything's consistent is one, but the the big win, and and this is something that I heard from Yehuda Katz. He gave a talk at RailsConf, I think, about this, mm-hmm. is that the conventions make it so that you don't have to think about making those decisions. So what to call the files and stuff like that. Those conventions, since they're already decided for you, you know, you can move ahead because you don't have to agonize over the little details. Yeah, the conventions are, are really nice. If you look at my latest episode on number 101, I think it's episode 8, about reading data from a service. Like, there's there's not any code there. Like, it's all just, I've got a model called this, I've got a route called this, and then, like, it just works all over the place. And the back button works, and refresh works, and, you know, you can share the URLs. It's it's really an amazing framework what they've what they've done with it. The conventions are great. Conventions are bad when they start feeling magic and you can't figure them out. But like when you can't figure them out, you know things are just named the same. Then yeah. it's awesome what it can do. Yeah, that's another. I I second that. It seems like sometimes the learning curve with Ember is a learning wall, and you just smash into it. But once you figure out how to do things, it's always less code than than you think it'd be. It's always one or two lines of code to get a ton of functionality. And I think that's valuable. If you invest more time into it, you end up being able to do things a lot faster in shorter amounts of time, or shorter yeah. amounts of code. I, I explain it like snowboarding and skiing. Like you can put skis on a five-year-old and they can get down the hill without crashing. But Ember's like snowboarding, where like if you can't turn, like you can't snowboard. <laughs> and so as soon as you figure out how to turn, then it's like. And you're just sailing, and it never actually gets a whole lot more difficult. Whereas with skiing, when you really learn how to ski, then it's like, oh, now you can do parallel, and now you can go try these weird moguls, and that's a totally different way of turning. You know, so an Ember app is kind of like big hump to get into at first, but then it doesn't really get a whole lot more difficult than that afterward. Now, all the avid snowboarders are like, dude, what about dropping cliffs and half pipes? And I'm just talking general people that are going down the hill. Yeah. Yeah. There is one more thing I'd like to say about Ember that I think is awesome, and it's kind of what I talked about at the Utah JavaScript conference, is it's built around this idea of your application has a state. Uh, so it's a state manager. We know it as the router. And because it's all built around this state, Ember can then conventionally serialize and deserialize that state to different places, like the URL. So if your app is at a certain state, it can serialize itself into the URL, and if you enter that URL to a new browser, it will deserialize it to that state. And then on the other end, it takes that state, and it can, air quotes here, serialize it into views on your page and have this view hierarchy, which is difficult in all the other frameworks that I've, I've worked with, like putting together all these views and the child views and the hierarchy. But because you have a state and these routes that can be nested, then it can just build up that view hierarchy for you very declaratively. And that's that's really why I love Ember is that state manager. Yeah. Awesome. All right, well, let's go ahead and do the picks. Um, I'm going to make Jameson go first. I, I have no picks this week. Nothing cool happened. All right. I forfeit. Merrick, what are your picks? <laughs> All right, so this pick, so I, I try and play the guitar, and I use pedal boards to try and make it sound better than I actually am. And... I ran into this project called Vim Clutch, which is a pedal that can throw you in and out of like insert mode or escape, etc. So kind of like a pedal board for Vim. And I thought it was just awesome because it's just it's so nerdy that it's amazing. I don't know how to explain it. And that's actually the the only pick. 
All right, Joe, what are your picks? Wow. I'm going to take everybody else's picks and have to pick 10 things. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I want to pick uh, the novel Heir to the Empire by um, uh, Timothy Zahn. It was like the very first Star Wars novel written after the movies were completed way back in the eight, the first three movies back in the 80s. And it's an awesome book, well recognized as the first of the best trilogy in the set in the Star Wars universe. So I want to pick that. I also want to pick uh, America's Got Talent TV show that's on TV right now. Talent show, very fun show to watch. And then I'm going to pick the new Superman movie. I'm going to go see it tonight. I haven't seen it. So next week, I'm going to either solidify my pick or else unpick it. (laughs) (laughs) I also went and saw the internship over the weekend. And I definitely want to pick that. I thought it was hilarious and very well done and just a great movie. So those are my picks. All right. So I've got a couple of picks. Um, I'm going to pick first uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. They are currently fighting the good fight to uh, protect podcasting from uh, patent troll. So if you go to EFF.org slash save dash podcasting, you can either contribute prior art uh, for the patent that uh, Personal Audio LLC says they have, or you can donate money. Either one is appreciated. And this is just important for us to be able to keep doing this show. They're talking about, you know, licensing and stuff. But, uh, you know, I think it'll really hurt podcasting as a whole if this goes through. So go and support the effort. Um, Man, those guys are the devil. Just, I just have to say. Who? Those patent trolls that are that are suing, they're suing podcasts for, if you guys don't know, they're suing podcasts for... Um, violating their patents. Yep. Just, just any podcast is in violation of their patents. According yeah. To They've sued Adam Carolla and somebody else, George Marin, I think. And then they've also sued um, Stuff You Should Know. And uh, anyway, the, the situation's kind of stupid. And the EFF thinks that they should be able to get it overturned, but uh, and any support we can give them is just something that I, I think we ought to do because I think we all enjoy podcasts and enjoy shows like this so yeah they have actively sued a few podcasters and then i think they've uh, threatened a few others to sue them if they don't pay them royalties and i think everyone's just kind of waiting to see where the where things settle so anyway the other picks that i have is uh, one of them is the stuff you should know podcast um it's awesome they they talk about all kinds of stuff and basically just talk about the things that are related to it. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the things that they've covered, but I can't. So anyway, and the last one I'm going to pick, my wife and I got into a TV show just in time for it to uh, go off the air, and that is Fringe. It's an awesome show. It's really fun to watch. So we're we're in the middle of third season right now, and uh, way fun. So anyway, those are my picks. Uh, Ryan, what are your picks? Um, I also listen to stuff you should know. And today it was on Capgras syndrome, which is where people think about they they think that like their spouse is not actually their spouse. Like they think that everyone's been replaced by these um, just imposters. So yeah, stuff you should know. It's a great podcast. Uh, I listen to that and this, and that's about it. My other pick is MIDI JS. Awesome. You can do like MIDI in the browser, and so I've been building like this hilarious drum machine and things like that, and like guitars and pianos, and it's kind of fun to do programmatically and see what creepy algorithms will do to make a song. 
Uh, so that's a lot of fun. JS bin, so awesome. And all of them, all those things uh, that are like that. It's just amazing in code how easy it is to help and share and teach. Like I can't think of anything else that is has more tools around to teach than programming. Um, I've been helping a lot of people with Ember, both close to me here at work and then over the internet. And all the time they're trying to do something and I'm like, well, show me your code. And uh, so then I'll just go into JSBin, whip something up real quick for them, and they're like, oh, wow, now I get it. And so really, really useful tools. I love JSBin and all the other similar websites. I also would like to pick Lifetime Products Swing Sets. They're metal swing sets. I just built one over the weekend. And I had built a giant wooden one before, the kind that like, you have to stand on. It's got the playhouse and all this other stuff and 10 million screws and nails. But this metal one, I think had like 15 connection points that I just had to, you know, ratchet them up, screw it together. And, uh, there it is. So much nicer. And then, uh, last uncooked flour tortillas. You throw them on your griddle or on your pan and cook them up before you eat them. They are so much better than buying whatever else you might buy for tortillas. So that's it. Nice. But you, you cook them, right? They don't stay uncooked, flour tortillas. Sure. Yeah, they're really doughy guess. if you don't cook them. That's <laughs> of the bread world. I believe that's what those are called. It's kind of tricky, though. You got to, like, if you're making a quesadilla, you got to cook the tortilla, take it off, let it cool, and then put it back on with the cheese, or else it, like, bubbles up all weird and doesn't quite work. That's funny. All right. Well, uh, Thanks for coming. It was a great, great conversation and really interesting. And uh, Ember's one of those frameworks I want to learn more about, and I think this is going to make it a lot easier. So, Yeah, go to ember101.com. That should get you over the hump. All right, good deal. Well, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, we'll yeah, thanks, catch Ryan. everybody next week. Thanks.